Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good. We awake? No? No? Need more coffee? So I'm Greg Hester, and I'm a deacon here at New Life, and it's my honor to uh, get to speak with you this morning uh, from the stage. I got a question for you, though, before we get too started or get too far along into what I'm going to speak about today. Who here can name a core value for either an organization they've worked for or are currently working for, but something that they can remember and reach back to? Can anyone do that? Troy. Service before self. You're stealing one of mine. Go ahead. Callie. Canes. Chicken fingers. Chicken fingers. That's a core value of canes, huh? Wow. Five C's. Very cool. Anybody else? Yeah, so I'm in the Air Force. Um, they're actually in the Air National Guard. And for us, we have three, four uh, core values. Integrity first. Service before self and excellence in all we do. And f from the very first day, for any airman that, that takes an oath and, and starts in basic training, they, are, they learn those and they commit them to memory. We put them on our walls. We put them on coins that we hand out for excellence. There's something that we value and that we take high interest in and they help us. If somebody starts going down a path that maybe is not beneficial for the organization, we use that to remind them of what really matters to us as an organization. And today we're going to talk about some of those things. Google actually defines core values. It says core values are the fundamental beliefs of a person or organization. These guiding principles dictate behavior and can help people understand the difference between right and wrong. Core values also help companies to determine if they are on the right path and fulfilling the goals by creating an unwavering guide. You know, they can tend to be a bit of a buzzword, right? But really, they do matter. They matter for any organization, even us as a church. We view core values in this way. Core values are the constant, passionate, biblical core beliefs that drive our ministry. I mean, think about it. If, if you don't understand what's important to you as a body, how do you know when you're doing the right things? How do you know you're making the right choices? You've got to understand that. And for us, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about what our core values are as a church so we can be reminded as a body, as we come together, what really matters to us as an organization that truly matters in this world. So before we get started, let's go ahead and go to the Word in prayer, and hopefully my allergies will allow me to get through uh, this morning as they've been uh, kind of kicking, kicking me this week. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to come together today to speak about what matters to us as a church. I pray that um, your, your voice is heard through my words, Lord. I pray for uh, clear communication. I pray for willing hearts to hear the message, Lord, and let it be your message, not mine. Just guide us through this, and watch over us each and every day. In your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, isolation is a killer. Who in here has ever seen the TV show Alone? Show of hands. Anybody? A few? Okay, so let me explain what the TV show Alone is to you. You like it, right? It's become uh, one of my favorites to watch. So this is what they do. It's on Hulu if you want to watch, by the way. It's very exciting. They take 10 adults and they drop them off in the middle of the wilderness. And not as a group. This isn't survivor drama. This is no kidding. 
one person with nobody else around for miles, and they spread them out throughout in very austere environments. So think northern Canada, Alaska, places that maybe you want to visit, but you want to go home to a nice warm place every night, okay? They have to learn or understand how to totally fend for themselves. They got to create shelter. They got to find their own food and they got to get their own clean water. They're allowed to take 10 items with them, but that's it. Everything else they have to manufacture, if you will, out in the wilderness and survive. And they go through a competition where if they just can't handle anymore, they tap out. But the last person standing gets the prize. Typically, it's around $500,000. But we're talking not just for a few days. These people stay out in the wilderness for months. And they don't know when they're going to come and say, hey, you're the last one standing. I mean, think about that. I'm an introvert, and that kind of scares me. I just can't imagine doing that. Now, these men and women that they drop into the woods, too, are not just your average happy-go-lucky people. These are highly skilled individuals that understand what it takes to survive. They know how to shoot a bow and arrow, which a lot of them use. They understand how to get clean water. They understand how to clean an animal and make it safe to eat because you're going to need those skills out in the wilderness, right? So there's two things that cause them to tap out most of the time. One is they get sick. Usually they eat or drink something that causes them to say, I just can't handle this anymore and I have to go home for my own health. The second is loneliness. These are some of the strongest people I've ever seen. People that ha could live out in the bush for years, no problem. But the problem is they're alone. They're truly alone. And that is what breaks them. Sometimes it breaks them in as little as nine days. Sometimes after day 60, they just decide, you know what? It's not worth it. I miss my family too much. I miss my friends. I got to go home. The truth is we need to be in community with others. We do not do well when we are isolated. Even I, an introvert, understands that I need others in my life, ones that will support me and encourage me. At New Life, we understand the value of living in biblical community, so much so that we have made it one of our core values. Here's how we as a church define community. We are deeply committed to being an authentic community with other Christ followers and those in search of the truth. We seek to love, encourage, and serve one another, sharing our lives as we participate together in the life and mission of the church. You know, we understand that God designed us for community. We cannot get by without it. <clears throat> Even non-believers need community. I mean, you think about it. That's why people go to sports games. That's why they go to the local bar. That's why they join um, clubs. Even online Everybody wants to be part of a bigger community. They don't want to be isolated. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves and have those relationships. And there's a very good reason for that. The truth is we're made in the image of God, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You know, he has always been in community since the beginning of time. 
He's always been three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, that's a very big concept, one that uh, the best theologians have a challenge in describing. We could spend weeks going through that. So I'm going to try and simplify it a little bit and give you a little bit easier example to understand. Think about Jesus and his life. He had his own community of disciples, the twelve. He also had his close confidants, Peter, James, and John, who he relied on daily. That's because Jesus was fully man. And even though he was the Son of God, he knew that he needed to be in community with others. We are not designed to be alone in any way. Let's do a little bit more current example that you guys can relate to. Let's talk COVID. When's the last time you talked about COVID? It's been a long time, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's go back a few months to say end of March, April, May, when the governor said, don't go to work, don't leave your house. I want to know from you, in terms of relationships, how did that affect you? Anybody? Starve for face-to-face contact. Yeah. What else? Human interaction. Does he have an answer? No? He's just raising his hand? Anybody else? So you guys all just felt just fine with COVID? You had no problem being at home? Getting through it? Chuck's like, no, it's fine. No big deal. No, yeah, worship, right? I know for me, um, at first, I kind of enjoyed it. I won't lie. My life was simplified. My commute was simplified by far. Um, the amount of things I had to go do uh, dwindled significantly. But then Zoom happened. I don't need to ever do another virtual meeting again. I, and I did what Ryan said about worshiping together. Boy, did I miss that. And, you know, we did it on Facebook, and it went as good as you could hope. But it is not the same as hearing the voices around you in community raising songs to our Father in heaven. We need that. We need that connection with one another. You know, when we're lonely, we tend to do some things that probably aren't the best. Not only are we isolated, we tend to focus on the wrong things. Your mind can go places that maybe it wouldn't go if you had others around you supporting you. You know, obviously you can kind of become a little bit depressed. I know some dealt with that more than others. You can even make poor decisions. When you don't have others that you can sit eyeball to eyeball with and ask them questions and ask for advice, it can be a real challenge. And so it's just, it's something that we need to have in our lives on a daily basis. There's a very good reason why isolation is used as a punishment in both our prisons and during times of war. I've actually had the distinct privilege to get to know someone who spent almost six years in a prisoner of war camp. Uh, Major General Edward Meckenbeyer, retired two-star general. When he was a lieutenant at about 24 years old, he was flying his 80th mission over North Vietnam in a, a fighter, an F-4 fighter, a big, heavy airplane, and it got hit, and he had to bail out with his backseater. Now, realize he bailed out right over the city that he just bombed, and he dropped into the community that he was responsible for destroying. And they took him and threw him in what's called the Hanoi Hilton. Now, don't think Hilton points 
and going someplace on vacation. The Hanoi Hilton was actually an all-concrete building. And when I say all-concrete, I mean the bed was concrete. The pillow was concrete. The floors were concrete. The walls were concrete. Everything. For almost five years. Or I'm sorry, almost six years. Almost six years living that way. He actually had cast iron uh, shackles at the they were drilled into the bottom of his bed that they strapped him into. So at night, he couldn't even roll over. He didn't have a roommate at first, but they eventually gave him his back seater as his roommate because his back seater had been injured and they needed somebody to care for him. But even in that environment, the prisoners understood the importance of community. So some things they did in order to stay connected, they developed a tap code. And a tap code was a series of taps on the wall, and they would tap on those concrete walls, basically like Morse code, and it would allow them to have conversations with people in the cell blocks next to them. They'd use hand signals and code words when they did get to see each other passing in the hallway that allowed them to communicate or let somebody know that somebody else was alive and was a prisoner with them. And you know, 50 years later, those men that served in that unusual community have a bond unlike anything else you could ever experience because of what they went through. They understood the importance of community and that's how they were able to survive those years living together in a very, very horrible environment. Lastly, isolation can actually have a negative impact on life expectancy. So there have been studies that have shown when people live isolated lives, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It can shorten your life by up to 15 years. Think about today, the environment in which we're living with COVID, especially for those who are older in age, they were probably a little bit isolated before this thing happened. And now what are they dealing with? God designed us to be in community with one another. We need it. We need it desperately. So then, the question is, what happens when we are in community, specifically Christ-centered community with others around us? When we live in a healthy, Christ-centered community with other Christ followers, we grow. We are supported and encouraged during difficult times, and our joy is honestly multiplied. The author of Ecclesiastes gives us a great example of why we need one another. In chapter 4, starting in verse 9, he says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken." You know, I'm going to say something that probably my young adult group is tired of hearing. But life is hard. There's ups and downs, there's challenges, there's disappointments. That's probably one of the few guarantees in life you'll have is that at some point in your life, things are going to get challenging. You know, I've gotten to the point now when things start going really good, I'm like, brace myself because something's coming. I just can feel it in my bones. It's just a matter of how we deal with it. I will say, with our young adult group, 
we took this summer to share our stories with one another. We all got a little transparent and we shared what we've experienced in our lifetime. Now, some of us, that was fairly short, 19 years or so. For some of us more experienced people, it was more like a few decades. But it was great to hear the difficulties. And yeah, I'm saying that. It was great to hear the difficulties that other people have gone through because it realizes you're not alone in experiencing difficulties. And that transparency that occurred within our small group of about 15 bonded us in ways that we just hadn't achieved yet in the previous nine to 10 months that we'd been meeting. It was a great encouragement and something I'm going to forever cherish. So let me ask you, would you rather go through this thing called life alone or would you rather have a community of Christ-centered believers around you to help you go through these challenges of life? I think that's pretty easy to answer, right? I don't want to be alone. I want to have somebody there with me by my side helping me as we go through these challenges in life. So then comes the bigger question. How do we do this? How do we live in community with others? And how do we do it well with humans when they can be so challenging at times? You know, at New Life, we actually have some Bible-based tools, if you will, for us to gather together in community. Right now, we're actually doing one of them, Sunday morning. Sunday morning, coming together to worship together, to study the Word, learn about God, is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to step into community if you're not connected somewhere. We need that. I know I felt that when we weren't meeting together. It is a huge blessing to do that. But I'll tell you, in this group, it's just too big for us to really get to the full level of community that we're called to. The next one is our life groups. Now, these are smaller groups, if you're not familiar, 8 to 12, men and women living life together, eating food, celebrating, praying. It is a tremendous opportunity. I would highly encourage you, if you haven't tried one out, to go ahead and try one out. Now, the last one, this one is the one where the real work gets done, and that's our discipleship groups or our D groups. These are groups of about three to five. They're gender-specific, and they're somewhat focused. They're focused on daily reading of the Word, transparency, accountability, and putting Scripture to memory. So we've been doing these, I think, a little less than two years. And I'll just be honest, I didn't jump on the bandwagon right away when we started talking about them. There was a couple things going on when I was approached to say, hey, we want to try these out and see if they'll work in our church. And I said, yeah, I just can't. I had a lot going on. I was probably the most stressful job I had ever worked. I was spending about two and a half hours a day driving to and from that job. And quite honestly, the idea of scripture memorization was not uh, exactly exciting to me, just to be quite honest. I've always struggled with that. Thankfully, God worked on me and in my life freed up some time. I changed positions. I quit a master's program that I was doing. And I'm like, you know what, God? I'm ready. And I jumped in and I'll tell you what, there has been no single tool more impactful in my walk with Christ than my D group. So you must realize, though, community, it doesn't just happen on its own. And oftentimes, it's hard. It's just straight up hard. You need to be very deliberate in making it happen. You need to be willing to take a little risk and really to offer a whole lot of grace. You know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but 
People are complicated. They're complex. They're oftentimes very messy. And if you're going to get in community with them and be transparent with them, you most likely will get some of that mess on yourself. And it will be a challenge for you at times. But I got to tell you, it is also where you will experience your greatest joy. When you celebrate celebrating in a small group of friends or a small community, there's just nothing like it. Nobody wants to celebrate alone. You want others around you to help you with that at all times. God calls us to live our lives in community with one another. This is exactly why we must seek out community with other believers. So as you listen to the following verses, I hope you can see what a community of true Christ-following believers looks like, as well as some of the benefits of doing so. So in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I actually like the Holloman Christian Standard Version just a little bit better for verse 16. It says, be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Being around humble people is something that I highly value. And it helps me be humble as well. There's great benefit in it. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Think about that. What load is not lighter when two, three, four people are helping you carry it? We all benefit from being in community together. And Christ's law, the law to love one another, what a greater way than to lift up someone else's burden to show them love. In Proverbs chapter 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Who doesn't want a brother to stand behind or beside them as they go through adversity? In James chapter 5, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, community provides an opportunity for transparency and encouragement, sharing what makes you weak, whether it's sin or illness, knowing that others are around you, surrounding you with prayer, and knowing that they're doing it regularly. There's no greater support. Now, this one, for me, is a full description of community when Paul wrote to the Colossians. In chapter 3, starting in verse 12, he says, Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all those, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a beautiful, beautiful picture.
You know, there's many other supporting verses that we could go on and on and on. But the reality is, we should have no doubt, we are called to live in community with other Christ followers. Now, I won't lie to you. Community is not always easy. It can get ugly sometimes. You will be hurt. You'll be dis disappointed. At times, you may even be forgotten by those that are closest to you. It also takes effort. You must be deliberate to make it happen. It just doesn't happen because you spend time together. You must put forth the effort. And it is a two-way street, though at times, I got to be honest, it may feel like you're the only one driving down that street. But I want you to be encouraged this morning because you're not alone. Now, when you think about Jesus's life and what he went through in his small community, whether it's the disciples or that type group that he lived with, remember what happened for him, Jesus, as he was here on earth. Now, James and John, they wanted to be first above all others, seated at the left and the right when he was in heaven. Does that sound humble to you? Not to me. His closest friends, Peter, James, and John again, they fell asleep in the garden when Jesus was on his knees praying with the Father for this burden to be lifted, agonizing over what he was about ready to go through. Not just once, but twice. So here's Jesus in the garden, bleeding from his sweat because he was so worried. Worried probably isn't the right word. Agonizing over what he was getting ready to go through. And his friends were taking a nap. Think about that. You think that was disappointing for him? One of his disciples, Judas, betrayed him and handed him over to be tried. And when he was arrested, all of the disciples fled. Every single one of them left high and dry. Then Peter, one of his closest, denied even knowing him when Jesus was being questioned by Caiaphas and people in the crowd came up to him and said, hey, don't you know Jesus? No, I don't know. No, no, you, you were with him, weren't you? No, to the point of cursing to insist that he didn't know this man that was being tried and getting ready to be beaten and hung on a cross. The cool thing is, through all that, Jesus ends up restoring those relationships. And that's a perfect model for us. And if you think about it, that small community that went through those things and let Jesus down at times, think about what they did after Jesus went to heaven. Those remaining 11, they didn't stay together in their comfort zone Say, we got it great. We understand what's going on. We're just going to hang out together because we really like each other. They multiplied and multiplied and ended up changing the world forever. You know, I can tell you sometimes in my own life when my community supported me through much difficulty. I think the birth of my first daughter and how my wife's heart almost gave out and the community came around me as I was purely lost. With the Air Force, I can't tell you, I literally cannot tell you how many deployments I've been on. But throughout that, my lawn was mowed. I had vent pipes repaired in my house. First deployment, they actually brought over an air conditioner and put in my window because we didn't have air conditioning back then. They fixed broken cars. 
This was the community that I was living life with. You know, a more, little more recent story of community for Amy and I, and I'm going to try and do it and not look this way right now. Um, my, my grandson, Ollie, was born right after Christmas, but he was born 14 weeks early at one pound, 12 ounces. He ended up spending about 90, well, not about, he spent 94 days in the NICU. Um, and it was ups and downs. I won't, I won't get into all those details, but I can tell you there was one week in there where he developed a lung infection, an E. coli bacterial infection in his lungs, where we just didn't know if he was going to make it. We really didn't know. And um, people came around us, met us up at the hospital, prayed with us, prayed for Ollie, prayed for Hope and Chris. And, you know, I just couldn't imagine going through a time like that on our own. God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't expect us to do that. You know, through the multiple difficulties in our lives, there are so many people that have come alongside Amy and I to provide emotional and sometimes physical support, support that I will never forget. Because you got to remember, Satan, he loves nothing more than to isolate us. If he can call one off from the community of believers, it makes it so easy to take that one down. Think about it today with COVID. In the church, throughout our nation, there is argument over wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. The church is being broken up by a piece of cloth, and we're allowing it to happen. I, I have to believe joy comes to Satan, if I can use those two words together. Every time a Christian gets in a heated discussion, whether in person or on social media, over whether or not you should wear a mask. It's so disheartening, and we're allowing it to happen. We just cannot let Satan divide us. You know, it is no different than when a lion out in the wild singles out one from the herd in order to take it down. When we are alone, we are vulnerable. And we must never forget, Satan prowls like a roaring lion. He loves to isolate us. We must be in community with one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, and most importantly, loving one another. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We must demonstrate love to one another. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be conflict. But we still need to revert back to love at the end. We can only do that if we are in true Christ-centered community with one another. And you know, being in community is not just doing it for our own benefit. It's how we demonstrate the gospel to all those around us. You know, we are called to spread the gospel. That's the Great Commission. There's no better example, though, to those who are lost than to live in loving community with one another. This is how we demonstrate to the world that we are different. And only because of the relationship we have with our loving Father are we able to do that. 
You know, living in a Christ-centered community is one of the greatest ways for us to show non-believers that it's worth following Christ. In John chapter 13, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let me ask you, are you living in community with other believers right now? And if not, why? What reason are you using to justify not being in community? Do you think you're not spiritual enough or your life isn't cleaned up enough to live in community? I'll tell you, that's an out-and-out lie. It's a fallacy. Even if you are just seeking and trying to understand what it means to follow after God, I want to encourage you to get connected in a church, to get part of a small group like a life group. That is where you'll be able to explore and understand who God really is and why we pursue him with our whole hearts. Are you too busy? I've used that excuse. I'm too busy. It's weak. I'll just tell you, it's a weak excuse. It must be a priority. If it's important to you, you have to make allowance for it in your life and maybe give up something else. I had to give up something that will probably have career implications for me, but I knew it was the right thing to do. My wife was shocked when I quit my master's program. She's like, you never quit anything, but I knew I had to do it. My life was just too, comp- too packed full of stuff that just didn't matter. And it allowed me to get into D groups. Have you been in community before and been hurt? Have you been disappointed by the way it's gone down? I can understand that. Because as we said, humans are messy. We're complicated. We're, we're going to fail you. I guarantee it. But don't let that keep you from being where you need to be. Are you afraid of transparency? So I grew up in a Lutheran church. I don't think we could spell transparency. I don't know if I could spell it today either. I'm not a good speller. But honestly, it, it was never talked about. It was not a reality. And we walked around on Sunday morning with a mask on, and not for COVID, but we wore masks. We never shared anything. Not till I got into a Christ-centered community and saw others willing to share their struggles did I start to realize the benefit of transparency. And it scared me to death. But then I saw what came out of it. The burden that was lifted, the weight off my shoulders, the opportunity to share my story and then have others say, you know what? We've been there. I've experienced that too. When we don't share our stories, it makes you feel like you're the only one with those difficulties. And that is the way Satan uses to keep us isolated. So I want to encourage you to do it. Now, I'll tell you, I'm a huge fan. I have no problem telling people what's going on in my life, especially those that are nearest to me because I understand the value of it. I want you to consider something else. Have you ever thought about what others miss out on because you're not there? To me, it's, it's no different than baking a cake. It takes everything, the flour, the milk, the eggs, the salt, to really make a good cake, right? If any one of those is missing, do you still have a cake? Yeah, but it's not nearly as good. The same thing is true in a community. When, when we don't have everybody there, you feel it and you miss out. And for those that have never been plugged in, I want to encourage you, you don't know what you're going to bring to the group, no matter what your background is. 
you may end up being the one that's the encourager, the supporter, the one that's going to pray or share a story with somebody that's going through a difficulty that you never thought you'd have an opportunity to share. So don't let that keep you either. You know, I hope you understand why living in a Christ-centered community is important, what it looks like and how it happens. It definitely takes deliberate effort. But there's very good reasons why we as a church have placed biblical community as a core value. We're designed for it. We're called to do it. We're stronger, encouraged, and find joy through it. And most importantly, we demonstrate to the world the gospel and it's, that it's the only true answer to the chaos in which we live every day. You know, if you're not connected through a life group, I want to encourage you to try and do so. Could real quick, if you're a life group leader here, could you just raise your hand so others can see who you are? Up high. Okay, so if you want to get plugged into one, reach out to one of those people after service. You can also go back to our hub and they can show you where some of the life groups are that maybe are in your part of town. But don't delay. For those who are in the life group and looking to take the next step to make their spiritual walk um, more of what Christ wants it to be, I want to encourage you the next opportunity that D groups open up and a new one is starting to get plugged into a D group. As I said, that's been the greatest tool in my life to help me grow. And I want to encourage you to do the same. You can talk to your life group leader. You can talk to an elder. You can talk to someone that's already in a D group and they can help you get plugged into that. You know, as, as I've gotten older and gone through these life experiences that I never, ever imagined, I've come to a much greater appreciation for those God has brought into my life. I cherish these relationships. I have a love for those in my life that have supported me, and I understand and appreciate the design God created us for. The design is to live in a community with those who will help me be more like Christ. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for allowing us to go through this very difficult thing called life with others around us. The model you have for us in living a Christ-centered life in community with others is something that we just so appreciate. I pray there's no one here that's alone, that's walking in isolation, Lord, loneliness, Lord. And I just pray that somehow after today, they can understand that they need you and that they need others in their life. Your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.